Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Jackie Kenny. I'm Kayla Eddy. And I'm Trey Bourne. Today on the show, The Matrix. 20 years plus after the original. Long time. An entire generation since we've put the stake in our mouths and knew that the Matrix was telling us that it wasn't real and realized ignorance was bliss. Our initial viewing, we were talking a little bit about the show, our initial viewing of the Matrix, what do we remember fondly about it uh, before we get to what we're excited about, what we saw in the trailer, and what we're thinking about in terms of resurrections, which comes out in just a couple of weeks? Yeah, I'll just say I, it, it was incredible when I went and saw it. I, I remember specifically it was a slow build. It didn't come out too much hoopla at all. In fact, everyone was waiting for The Phantom Menace to come out. And I remember going to see it, knowing that in a couple of weeks I was going to be blown away by the new Star Wars. But here's kind of a filler. And I went and I was completely blown away. And of course, The Matrix was a better movie than The Phantom yeah. Menace, I think, objectively. It's kind of funny how everyone was making such a big deal about how The Phantom Menace was going to revolutionize the way movies were made. But it was really The Matrix that mm-hmm. revolutionized the way uh, movies were made, especially the sci-fi. I mean, the special effects that they talked about or they used were brand new at the time. The, uh, Of course, the bullets and that you see in slow motion all the time. But that was brand new. And also, to me, it was the story was incredible. It had religious uh, implications. It had cyberpunk. It had everything all mixed together, but it was told so well. Um, there really wasn't much of a hole in the plot. And when you think about it, it's crazy. I mean, it's a crazy concept, but there really wasn't much of a logic gap in it. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I'll say I saw it when it first came out, too. The old guys will maybe talk about uh, seeing it originally. And I didn't want to like it only because it was a film out of its time in that it was an afterthought with regard to uh, cyberpunk, right? And one of my favorite novels ever is William Gibson's Neuromancer, which is the sort of seminal work in cyberpunk literature. And this was not uh, Neuromancer, uh, not even close. And it was a sort of, I don't know, a watered down, less edgy, very flashy version of Ghost in the Shell, which is another piece of anime in this case, that the you know that the uh, the the film pretends after I thought, but I w- sat down, I watched it, and like Trey, the story was told so incredibly well, and and uh, one of the things that I that I noticed, and I watched this sequencing after, it pays homage to. Ghost in the Shell. I don't know if any of you have seen, but you can do a search on the internet. Maybe I'll post it on our Facebook page and watch the scene where Neo is being chased originally by the agents. That scene is a direct 
not exactly shot for shot, but very close to the majors chase scene in Ghost in the Shell. So not only were the filmmakers influenced by uh, the source material, but they sort of paid homage to it. You know, there's some respect there. It wasn't just the sort of appropriating cyberpunk. Although a lot of the flash of post-cyberpunk was flash. It was far less authentic in a lot of ways. There's, there's far less punk in post-cyberpunk than, you know, than the original. So sort of like Trey, I went into it half expecting not to like it or wanting not to like it, but left wanting uh, more guns, uh, as Neo says near the end. My experience was a little different. I, yeah, I watched the first time when I was like six or seven and I didn't understand it as much um, as I should. Probably not a good film for like a young kid to be watching. I really liked the action though. And even, even looking back at it now, I think it was really well done for its time. And it's not just the first Matrix. It's like the second and third one. Like there's so much great action scenes in it. it Besides the plot of the story, the action really captures your attention. Yeah, I'll say <laughs> not on purpose. I didn't know. I, I let Shen watch The Matrix at, at seven. Oh, no. And then I realized a little bit in, oh, shit, this is not. <laughs> this is not. There's a bunch of people who die in it who yeah. get murdered. Yeah. 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 And then he's, he's very good at catching that stuff. Dad, this is rated R. He like shouted out, you know, he'd looked on the box or whatever. And I said, well, we're just going to power through it, son. We're going <laughs> to, I was too into it again at that point. So. Yeah. So I, you know, even when I was younger, I didn't really understand it, but I kept watching it over the years again and again and again. And I learned something new every time. And it's still one of my like top five favorite movies. And you're kind of a movie buff. Um, so I was not able to see these movies in theaters at all because when the first movie came out, I wasn't born. Um, I'm sorry if that makes you feel old. Um, <laughs> it does. But it's it the does. truth. Um, so I watched the, them all three back to back in one day a couple years ago. And like 95% of the themes went right over my head, but I was hooked on the aesthetic right away. I thought the costumes were cool. The the like green and gray color scheme was gorgeous. Um, the action scenes really stood out because stylistically they were so different than anything I'd ever seen. And um, no one in my family understands why I like those movies so much. They all think I'm crazy. Uh, my grandmother especially because she she watched them with me and hated them. Just talking about action uh, sequences that Jackie was talking about. To me, I, I, re I actually like the second film. I think it caught a lot of flack because it was more convoluted than the first one. But I thought it, I love stuff like that. So I was really into it. It was the third one I couldn't stand. But the, the chase, the car chase in the second, in the second movie was amazing. And I still yeah. don't know how they shot some of that. I know it must have been CGI, but it, it was that's one of the best car chase scenes I've ever seen in any movie. So that was really good. You know, they had to amp up all the action. And, you know, the <laughs> it catches a lot of flack and it should catch a lot of flack. And the rave scene at the very beginning is so yeah. bad. Yeah. And if you can get through that, I still don't know why they did it. I still don't understand the purpose of it. But, you know, once you got through that and they went back into the Matrix, they did a good job because to me, you know, at the end of the first Matrix, 
basically Neo is Superman. I mean, he has all the power mm-hmm. in the world. Yep. And as yep. you know, you, you can only make so many Superman movies because there's no tension. And so I always wondered how in the world they're going to do it. And they, I, I just felt like with the architect uh, and the layers upon layers, I just thought that was a really, really interesting story. And I wish they had kind of doubled down on that. But instead, they you know, went back to the religious kind of stuff in the third one, yeah. which I just thought didn't work at all. That's just me. And that's, o- that's okay, Kayla, if, if uh, Trey and I feel old. We're sort of like the resurrection of Neo. We're still very powerful, <laughs> even though... Even though no. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My bones are creaking. I'm not performing any missile reguiding or bullet stopping. It's all right. We still love you. <laughs> That's good because love is what I operate on now and lots of coffee and <laughs> painkillers. We did want to talk a little bit about what it was about that first film that appealed so widely uh, to such a wide audience. And I had said when I originally watched it, I'm going to get a little bit literary here. It did something that uh, Neuromancer did. It played with the idea of the detective novel, which is what a lot of uh, uh, a lot of cyberpunk did use this noir aspect, and also with the console cowboy stuff. With Case, definitely deals with the sort of cowboy esque uh, element that we see in some later versions of really good uh, series like Firefly you know, playing with uh, some of those ideas and those tropes. I thought in a similar way, this movie gave us a a Messiah story, right? It's sort of like uh, we're, we're, we're experiencing this again in Paul Atreides, or we will in the next half of the Dune film. That's really part of what Dune is about. It's 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 a sort of Messiah story. And so that appealed to me, uh, and Trey, you said before the show you were reading uh, something by Klosterman, right, uh, that uh, talked about it in a, in a different way. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible book you know, about futurism and, and looking into the past and things like that. But it's called What If We're Wrong? And it breaks down, you know, something like a movie, but goes through history and shows where people were really convinced of one thing and then... 10 years later, the whole narrative changed almost overnight. And he used the Matrix as Matrix as an example, because when it came out, it was probably the first time I'd ever seen AI portrayed in such a way. I'd read about it, but I'd never seen it portrayed. It was mostly the Terminator stuff, you know, where it becomes a dystopian robots and nuclear war. But you never saw, you know, AI portrayed as wanting to live their own life and, you know, wanting to you know, live in peace, basically. You know, you're or also you had the the mythos, the Christ, definitely the Christ story there, but it all revolved around what's the truth and what's not the truth. And, you know, you take the pill and you find out the truth. Do you want to live a life where that's harder if you know what the truth is? Or do you want to live a life of denial? And we can talk about that really generally. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to talk about. But what Klosterman says is that as we know, the directors at the time were male, and 10 years later, they both transitioned to female. 
And so his point was that the whole movie was about living a lie and what you have to do to live the truth. And so he said both directors at the time were living a lie. And I just thought that was a really interesting aspect to the movie. And I think now that is the way most people look at The Matrix. They say, yes, that this is exactly what they were talking about. But that was the first time I'd ever really thought about it. And when you go back and watch it, um, if you haven't considered that, you can definitely see signs um, that that's what they're talking about. Maybe it was subconscious. I don't know. But it's definitely you know, living an easy life that's maybe a lie as opposed to living a hard life, which is the truth. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the things I think for me that's super interesting. It's one of the ways I try to teach a lot of my classes that there's not one you know, governing interpretation. There's not one authentic interpretation. And one of the things that I focused on pretty closely the last time that I taught creative writing, uh, we use Stephen King's On Writing, which is a really good book, where he talks about writing The Shining and not having any idea that he was writing about himself until years later he thought about it. And it was an alcoholic former teacher who's a writer, right? And is haunted by his addictions and uh, the demons inside of him. And it's, he said he looked back and God, it was obvious. <laughs> you know, what he was screaming out, you know, while he was writing it. So the whole, like the author, I don't know, you know, we, uh, we English teachers try to say the author is not important, right? And all that. Well, in some ways they may offer perspectives. And what fascinates me is about, is the kinds of receptions uh, that we get interpretations by those who are experiencing art, whether it be film or any kind of story. Uh, we, did, we did all watch the trailer, and I want to talk about some moments from the trailer uh, before we talk about some of the things that we th hope happen in the new uh, film coming out in a few weeks. Uh, some of the things I noticed, it starts with the glitch in the Matrix, uh, where Neo is getting therapy. There's a black cat walking across the top of the desk. They really played with the white rabbit playing heavily into not only the music that we get uh, as the events are unfolding, as the sort of montage is being given to us, but chasing the white rabbit at one point, the, I don't know if it's the same actress they brought back, but she says, you're going to have to follow me. Obvious reference to following the white rabbit uh, from the first film. And then I don't know. I was sort of complaining because we had just got done talking about Hannibal and Lawrence Fishburne is a outstanding actor, but he has vanished. And I thought maybe it's because of the pounds he put on, but I think Jackie may have some insights. Well, from what you're saying, you know, a lot of the new trailer, it looks like it kind of leaves off from the third movie, but at the same time revisits the first movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's kind of a fourth movie, but kind of like a reborn first movie given its title, Resurrections. Resurrections, yeah. But yeah, I, w I was trying to look into it online. There's not a whole lot of summary about the movie, except that Neo's suddenly back in the Matrix. But no one really knows. I feel like he doesn't really know he's the one at first. Same as Trinity. Like they're like kind of different mm -hmm. characters. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, I heard, or from what I read, is that it might take place like 60 years after the revolutions. They're kind of saying that more, like the actual character Morpheus is dead, but at the same time, like the Matrix, it's like a reboot. So they kind of have like the same characters, but they're oh. different because it's like the same world happening over again. Because like in Reloaded, it says every hundred years or so, the Matrix gets rebooted and like the same thing kind of happens. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think like there's a Morpheus character, but it's not played by the same person. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. To I mean, of course, my attention's immediately on Doogie Hauser. I'm I'm thinking what in the world is going on. <laughs> I and, know. He's now a psychiatrist in in addition to being an MD, right? Yeah. Doogie Hauser. Like, why is Doogie Hauser here? This is some <laughs> stunt casting. And, you know, then I think Jackie's right. It it seems to imply that he is somehow rebooted and he has forgotten, you know, where he was or maybe it's a dream. And then they use, you know, the pills, the red and blue pill in the previous was between the truth and not the truth. But here it's to obfuscate the truth. You know, it's like like they're being drugged, like some sort of major antidepressant or, or something where he can't remember. So I thought that was an interesting twist to the whole thing. So I don't know. It really, at first I was like, oh my God, no, I'm not going to watch this. It's, it's going to be bad. But then when I watched it, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see that for sure. I am going to see it too. And playing off of that, it made me think of there were more than one brief cuts to people just staring at their phones for sort of the idea of that zombification that happens to us. We're sort of asleep. And we're still plugged into the Matrix, but just in a in a different way, I guess. Yeah, they found a new way to yeah. to sedate the masses. You know, before yeah. it was they had to have a challenge. Now they don't have to have a challenge. They just have phones yeah. and they're just sedated. They just have to have an iPhone. Yeah. And Candy Crush or something. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm, you know, 20 and kind of grew up with a phone in my hand or not. But oh my God, I hate the... The, you know, cuts to people staring at their phone. I'm like, oh, my God, are we are we going to make a point about people being on their phones all the time? I'm like, please don't. Don't do that to me. Come on. Because you're because you're used to it and all you hear is old people. Why are you on your phone all the time? Oh, yes. <laughs> I grew up with a house phone, so I feel like I'm just a little bit older. <laughs> it's the new skateboard. My parents were like, what that? God damn, skateboard away. <laughs> well, to me, it was Atari. You know, I always got, why are you yeah. always on your Atari? Yeah. Because it's cool. There I was playing Duck Hunt. <laughs> oh my gosh, I played Duck Hunt. That was so fun. I, I loved Adventure. I played Adventure all the time. Yes. You remember Adventure oh with God. the dragon that would come? Yeah, you were a dot with an arrow. Your sword was. <laughs> Your sword was the arrow. It was horrible. It was terrible. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You could win that game in, I don't know, what? Eight minutes, Trey? I showed it to Shen, and he he loved it. So adventure is universal, man, through the generations. (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) It was, yeah. So do you think, Kayla, that's kind of my take on the phone stuff was that yeah, and the second one, it was all about how they had to reboot it because people would get bored. They didn't like to be 
you know, sedated. They had to have a challenge. And it seemed to me it was almost like they were saying, oh, well, we found a way to actually make them sedated without having to reboot it and let them have a challenge. Yeah, much much as I, I hate the insinuation the trailer kind of makes there, it, I, can't, I can't say that it doesn't make sense. I mean, if they're talking about rebooting the Matrix, I mean, look at all the technology they have to play with now. And they've got more computers to mess with. They have more AI to mess with. I'm like, I... I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to put all the new technology into a movie based on mm-hmm. like artificial intelligence. I guess you can't really make a film that's you know set in an, an entire sort of simulation that doesn't deal with some of those, I don't know, some of those issues. It's not really something that I thought about, Caleb, but it does sound a lot like a a more grown-up version of millennials, you know, one of the big complaints, right, about millennials. And I guess well, I plan to do another show after maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. The big takeaway from the first three movies is everyone wanted to be back in the Matrix. I mean, they didn't like the real world. I mean, viewers watching the movie couldn't stand the real world. I know I couldn't stand it. I, I kept waiting for them to get back into the Matrix, and maybe they just... You know, just from an aesthetic standpoint and an action standpoint, they said, well, we're just going to be in the Matrix the whole time this time around. Doesn't the trailer end with the guy saying, God, we're going back to the Matrix after all this time, right? Um, Going back to the future. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the Matrix and ending the trailer is a good way to bring the episode to to a close. The pub is produced on that series of tubes we all know as the internet from the studio at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. We post new episodes every Monday, and you can listen in wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also find us at straylightmag.com, where we publish new stories, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at the pub podcast on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to the pub. Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. <laughs> <laughs>